0: So today's sermon text is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. You'll see it in your worship guide if it's easier for you to follow along there. And at the same time, I'm going to be pairing this text from Genesis with a reading from the book of Colossians. Um, So would you listen closely and carefully to this God's word to us tonight? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Would you listen closely to a reading from the book of Colossians? And he is the image of the invisible God Lord, in this moment, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we ask boldly that you would take these words that are in your word, the words that I've prepared, and would you use them to great effect in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives, and would you use them to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus, we pray. we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So I actually remember where I was sitting when I read it for the first time. For what it's worth, I was a junior in college. I was sitting at the food court, at least what we called it at Samford University, I was a junior in college sitting at the food court at Stanford University, which, by the way, was about 18 years ago for me. Okay? Do I feel old to you now? Some of you are like, not at all, actually. It was an essay written by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. And there's one particular section of that essay that I remember when I read it. It was one of those things that I'll never be able to unthink that. Do you know what I mean? Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said that the dullest and most uninteresting person you meet, the dullest and most uninteresting person you meet, you might be tempted if you let your mind go there, you might be tempted to worship that person. He goes on to say, quote, There are no ordinary people. He goes on to say that you and I have never, ever, once in our lives, ever met a mere mortal. He goes on in that essay to say, actually, besides the bread and the wine in Holy Communion, another human person is the holiest object that will ever be presented to you in your senses. What did C.S. Lewis mean by that? That's what this sermon is about. And it's actually what this text of Scripture is about. And I, as your pastor, think it's particularly important. You know, I actually don't have very high hopes. Well, I shouldn't say that. I do have high hopes. I don't have very high expectation of any one sermon that could be preached by me at Grace Fellowship. My approach is to sort of grind out lots and lots of sermons faithfully over the next several decades we're together. That's what I'm hoping to do. But sometimes you run across particular texts of Scripture and you just believe the ideas in them are so important that it might be one of those kind of profound moments that you remember for a while. And I wonder if this is one of those. If I could just boil down the main thing that I want you to hear this afternoon into a sentence, I might say this. If we are made in God's image, then there is an invitation for you and me today. So as I've mentioned over the last few weeks, thousands of sermons could be preached from this text. And my goal is to preach one sermon to you. And the way that this is going to unfold, there are two things from this text that I want you to notice. And then I want to issue two What has become for me plainly obvious invitations that this text proclaims. So, two things I want you to notice, and two invitations from this passage. So, let's take a look. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Thing to notice, number one. The first thing to notice. Look with me in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man. See, in everything that has proceeded so far, God is speaking. He's speaking, and things are being created and made. But when it comes to this point, God speaks, if you will, within the counsel of himself. It's a marked difference in tone. And this is there to help you and I see that this, what we're reading about in this scene, when God makes human beings, it is the very height of his creative work. It's the height of the beauty. It's the very pinnacle of this work of creation. That's thing to notice number one. This is the height of God's created work. Remember what has proceeded so far. God brings light from the darkness. He makes the skies and the seas. He makes dry land. He puts plants on this dry land. He speaks, and the stars and the moon and the sun find their places. He speaks, and birds appear in the sky, and sea animals appear in the ocean. Brown trout, if you've ever seen them. Most beautiful fish probably you'll ever see. He puts them there. Land animals. The majestic beauty of like a lion or an elephant. Those things are all beautiful. But the height of his creative work is this moment in which he makes people. Everything that proceeds from here is like a song that is building in intensity. Intensity. Sometimes good musicians, you'll hear the way they'll build a song kind of slowly and a little faster and a little higher and a little greater until it explodes. If you've ever been to a fireworks show, you'll see the way at the end there's a grand finale where so many fireworks begin popping off in a faster and faster and more dramatic sequence. This is that. Human creatures are the height of the beauty of creation. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever noticed how beautiful and interesting that people are? Have you? Have you noticed the way their eyes will sparkle when they get excited about something? Have you ever noticed the way that their noses kind of crinkle when they smile or laugh? Have you ever actually seen The way that people's shoulders are kind of soft. Freckles. Aren't freckles the most delightful thing? My wife Mandy, in the summertime, freckles begin to kind of appear. People's hair is so interesting and differently textured. When people talk, they talk with certain kind of mannerisms and if they get excited, sometimes they start waving their hands kind of fast. Have you noticed the way that people are shaped so differently, so uniquely? Have you noticed the way people are colored differently and beautifully and uniquely? Human beings are God's best work, which is really, really saying something, isn't it? every human person that you ever encounter is more beautiful than any mountain you've ever looked at, every oceans, waves you ever have taken in, every sunset you've ever observed actually biblically, theologically pale in comparison to the beauty of a human person. Over the last few weeks, I've told you about this moment when I was sitting on the coast in California and the ocean waves were crashing and the birds were chirping and the salty air and the fog rolling in. It's the most beautiful place I'd ever been in my life. I told you guys in that moment, at least part of what I was supposed to understand is that God made these things. And because God made these things, this was two weeks ago, you and I can trust him because he's a good God who makes good things and he knows what he's doing. I told you last week that to add to that, and in that moment, another thing I was supposed to catch from that moment of raw, natural beauty is not only that I could trust God, but that I should obey God. Because everything in the creative order obeys God, that is where beauty comes from. Obedience to God is where beauty comes from. And if I can add another layer to that illustration, which they're gonna keep getting layered in the weeks that are to come, In that moment, another thing that I was supposed to have taken in, actually, as I looked at the most beautiful coastal site that I've ever seen, I was actually supposed to take in the random hiker that I I didn't even know. That that random hiker that I didn't know is actually more stunningly beautiful, according to the Bible, than any other thing that I was watching in that moment. Thing to notice, number one, is that human persons are the height of God's creative work. Maybe as a word of application this week, take a few minutes to notice people this week. Okay, thing to notice number two. That was thing to notice number one. Human persons are the height of God's beauty and creative work. Thing to notice number two is that human persons, we're told, are made particularly in God's image. Look with me again at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Not only are human beings the height of God's beautiful work of creation, but human beings in this text are said to bear God's actual image. What does that mean? Well, for thousands of years, Christians have tried to wrestle with what that, that exactly means, and it means an infinite amount of things. But let me just hit some of the highlights for you in rapid order. First of all, if you notice, everything in the creation story reproduces after its kind. Fish reproduce after its kind. Trees can reproduce after its kind. When it's time for God to reproduce after his kind, he makes you and me. What that means is that you and I as people, you and I as people show one another what God actually is like. Now we do this imperfectly because of our sin, but that's another sermon for another day, literally like in three weeks. But you and I are the best display what God is like. Here's another thing that it means. It means that you and I, because we're human beings made in God's image, that you and I, for whatever reason, for whatever reason God has chosen, when he made us, he made us uniquely capable of glorifying God. The scriptures teach that the heavens declare the glory of God, the stars sing of his handiwork, the day by day they pour forth speech glorifying God. But because you and I are made in God's image, we have this unique ability to reflect his character in the world. We have this unique ability to put on display what he's like, what he cares about. In other words, when somebody notices and observes your life, they are supposed to somehow get a sense of what God might actually be like. It's a stunning thing to say, isn't it? You know, we sing of these things about God's love. And the logic is that somebody might wonder, how could God love? And somebody might say, well, have you noticed the way that that person loves? It's kind of like that. Here's another thing that being made in the image of God means. It means that you and I are capable of sharing life with God relationally. We're made to somehow interact with Him relationally as friends. It means that you and I are, at the same time, able to share relationship with one another. We're able to form bonds of friendship and family. We're able to form collegial relationships at our work. We're able to relate to other people. It's part of what it means to be a bearer of the image of God. Another thing that it means is we're capable of understanding life deeply. We're capable of thinking deeply about the meaning of life. Look, I have a dog. My dog's awesome. My dog's not sitting around wondering about what life means. She's not. She doesn't care. But you and I are made to care about those things. Another thing to notice right here from this text about what it means to be made in the image of God is the fact that male and female together bear the image of God. There are things that you can only know about who God is and what he is like from a man. There are things you can only know about who God is and what he is like from a woman. Church communities are intended to be putting both precious parts of God's image on display for people. We have to honor what it means to be male, what it means to be female, because both are equally, equally important in promoting the image of God in the world. Think of it like this. Imagine the most beautiful photograph you've ever seen, and imagine me taking scissors and cutting half of it out and saying, "Hair." you'd be like, "What's, what's up with the picture? It doesn't look right. Together, male and female together bear the image of God. First thing to notice is that people are the height of God's creative work. Second thing to notice is that people bear the image of God. And if these things are true, and I really believe there are, I think there are two invitations for you and me. Here's the first invitation that I think this text demands that you and I actually look at people in our lives differently. We're invited to look at the people in our lives with new eyes. If every human person you interact with, even the most dull and uninteresting, even those that you don't particularly click with or care for, if those people are capable of showing you something about what God is like that cannot be seen any other way, does that not change the way you see them? And when you see them with those kind of eyes, it makes you suddenly want to be patient and gentle and tender and truthful and honest it makes you want to know them and not use them. It makes you want to be immensely grateful for them. It doesn't mean that people don't wound us and we don't, shouldn't have boundaries and guardrails, but it deepens our sense of compassion even for those people, doesn't it? This Christian leader that I really admire said it like this one, Tom. When you look at the face of another person, you have to realize that that person is a person and God loves that person. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote it like this. The image of God is universally shared in equal portions by all people. Every human being has etched in his personality, the indelible stamp of the creator. Every person must be respected because God loves that person. The worth of an individual does not lie in the measure of his intellect, his racial origin, or his social position. Human worth lies in its relatedness to God. An individual has value because he or she has value to God. I think this text asks us to think deeply about the people in our lives and to see them differently. Here's a second invitation that I think that this text calls for us to, for us to also think deeply about the ways in which you and I are reflecting him. If you and I are supposed to live and move in such a way that people can gain some vision of God and his holy character. To put it plainly, how's that going for you? This was convicting to me as I thought of these things this week. If somebody had my life to observe, my words, my actions, the way I move about my business. Here's what they might come to understand about God God must be busy, hurried, not a lot of time for people, easily frustrated, impatient. Things are convicting, aren't they? So maybe there's a third invitation. And it's an invitation for all of us in light of these truths to turn to Jesus. See, it's almost as if we need someone to enter in to take up our humanity to put on human skin, to show us, to meet us, to give us his attitudes, his postures, to give his life to us so that we can be who we're supposed to be. Do y'all know where I'm going with this? And this is exactly what Jesus has come to do text from Colossians says that he is the image of the invisible God. He shows us exactly what God is like. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. He shows us what God is like. And for fun, this week, I read every interaction, every human interaction that Jesus had with people. And I'm tempted to right now read all of them for you, but I'll spare you because of time but let me just say some of what you would see in Jesus in his interactions with people. You'd see him touching a leper. You'd see him slowing down for people who are on the outside. You'd see him noticing people who are on the outside. You'd see Jesus taking the time to ask. You'd see Jesus telling the truth. You'd see Jesus going out of his way to love and to serve. You'd see Jesus being immensely patient with his disciples. You'd see Jesus going to the cross because of his love for people. You'd see him forgiving and restoring his friends when they failed him. You'd see all the ways that Jesus makes up for what you and I lack. And the scriptures teach that in his life, in our union with him, we have a chance to find ourselves, who we are supposed to be, that we have a chance to come alive to who God has made us as we cling to him. So may we, in a fresh way tonight, cling to him. Let's pray. Lord, these things are easier, of course, to talk about from a pulpit, about the beauty of human people, the way in which they uniquely bear your image, or the ways in which we should see them and treat them. These things are easier to talk about from a pulpit than to live in the hard and normal things of our lives. So it is our prayer that in these moments, that these truths which have been proclaimed... Your spirit would use them, Lord, to reshape our vision, Lord, and to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus, who supplies every single thing that we lack. Would you help us in these things, we pray, and we pray it in the name of Jesus, amen.